Welcome to Podcast with Lara Axtell. In each episode of Podcast, Lara explores a current educational topic to identify practical solutions to help improve the future of education. Podcast is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. Visit readinghorizons.com to learn more. And now, Podcast with your host, Lara Axtell. Hello, and welcome to Podcast. I'm Laura Axtell, your host, and I'm excited to share today's episode with you. There are so many challenges in education for teachers, parents, and administrators, and one of this nation's largest challenges is ensuring that every student can read proficiently. Although there is a lot of discussion about the problem, today we're going to share some good news and positive results. First, we'll hear from Sarah Seiko at the National Center on Improving Literacy and the work that they are doing nationally to provide tools for research-based literacy in schools. Then we'll get specifics from an elementary school principal and a reading interventionist about the process their schools have gone through to provide evidence-based reading instruction and intervention. They'll talk about the results they've seen, not just for students, but for educators as well. Welcome to the program, Sarah. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So um, you're a deputy director at the National Center on Improving Literacy, known as NCIL. Could you briefly explain the goals of NCIL? Sure. The National Center on Improving Literacy, or NCIL, or ENCIL, is a partnership among literacy experts, university researchers, and technical assistance providers or consultants. And we receive funding from the U.S. Department of Education. And our mission is really to increase access to and use of evidence-based approaches to screen, identify, and teach students with literacy-related disabilities, including dyslexia. So how is NCIL increasing access to and use of evidence-based approaches in schools? NCIL provides three types of differentiated support to state education agencies, local education agencies and schools, and parents and families. So we have a large range of audiences that we hope to address. And really, the types of services we provide are focused on implementing evidence-based approaches that improve literacy outcomes for preschool to grade 12 children with or at risk for literacy-related disabilities, including dyslexia. So we really span the early years all the way up through secondary ed. And we have three types of services, as I mentioned. The first one is really universal. And the information and resources that we provide through universal services usually are available through our NCIL website. And this includes resources such as infographics, and literacy briefs on a variety of important topics. We have a state of dyslexia map, a learning literacy glossary, a kid zone, which is a space dedicated just for elementary age kids to play and read. And we also have a repository of evidence-based products and resources from other reputable organizations promoting evidence-based literacy practices. So our website provingliteracy.org, and that's where you can access those materials that I just referenced. 
In addition, um, we have targeted services, and these are really focused on opportunities and events to meet common needs of multiple states or districts or even parents and families. So this includes things like regional professional development events and webinars that we might offer. And we also have an online ask an expert tool available through our NCIL website where we have different experts answer questions that have been submitted to us by educators and parents. You mentioned researchers. You know, you have researchers as part of that um, trio. How do you get that reading science and research into higher ed programs that, first of all, will prepare teachers for working with students with literacy-based learning differences such as dyslexia, but also once teachers are in the classroom, how what has been most effective in terms of getting that information to them? Right. Well, in the case of higher education programs, it certainly is a challenge in many cases. How educator preparation programs can effectively prepare teachers in the science of reading and supporting students with dyslexia and other literacy-related disabilities is really critical, especially since a recent data burst from the National Council on Teacher Quality showed that only 37% of teacher preparation programs across the country are teaching the methods based on the science of reading. So NCEL and others, we recognize that successful implementation of evidence-based literacy practices at the local level really requires a multifaceted approach that focuses on aligning both pre-service and in-service staff preparation to the science of reading. So there are some educator preparation programs that are taking positive steps toward improving their programs to this end, but we'd like to see more doing so. It really requires, I think, a shift in mindset from viewing this type of preparation as solely for special education candidates to really being necessary for both general education and special education candidates. This is really crucial if we truly want to prepare future educators for their role in a school-wide model that centers on prevention and early intervention, like a multi-tiered system of support. And that starts with being able to deliver high-quality initial instruction in foundational reading skills. In the general ed classroom? Correct. So one of your goals, it sounds like, is to help everyone recognize how essential this is across the spectrum at all levels in schools. That's right. Part of the rationale behind a service delivery framework or prevention and early intervention model like response to intervention or multi-tiered system of support is the idea that children are receiving high-quality instruction in reading um, in the general education classroom, and then there's effective ways to screen children for risk of future reading difficulties and acting upon that information early in the form of intensifying instruction or interventions.
Thanks, Sarah. The National Center on Improving Literacy is doing important work. Now we'll hear from a principal about the impact that research-based literacy has had at his school. Okay, we'd like to welcome Josh Spangler to PodClast. Thanks for joining us today, Josh. Thank you for welcoming me. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, your role and what we're going to talk about today? I am Josh Spangler. I'm an elementary principal for a rural school in Somerset, Pennsylvania. We have about 500 kiddos here, and um, we will be talking about systems we have in place that support our kiddos in reading, but not just reading, looking at behaviors, social, emotional learning, attendance, parent and academic engagement as well, and how we use all that information to enhance the kiddos while they're here with us in our walls. So it, you've, you sound excited about some things that happened in your school in the last year. Could you talk a little bit about that? So over the past five years, since I've become principal, we work closely with the Pennsylvania Training and Technical Assistance Network, which is called PATAN, on our multi-tiered system of support. So it's MTSS. And multi-tiered system of support is just a lot of words to say that we're helping kids in as many ways as possible. And when we look at reading, behavior, social, emotional, learning, attendance, mental health, and academic and parent engagement, we look and see if we have a strong tier one system in place. And then do we have that robust intervention system, too, that addresses all those domains and supports the kiddos that are struggling. So PATAN, which is part of our Department of Education here in Pennsylvania, has really shared their expertise and training, not only me, but my staff. And they helped us take a look at a response to intervention tier triangle. And we turned that one-dimensional triangle into like a multi-dimensional pyramid now with many faces. And we can look at the whole kiddo. So we have come a long way in the five years. With the help of Batan, we're now a model RTI school. And we can use our RTI MTSS system to identify students with specific learning disabilities. And our tier one advanced tier school-wide positive behavior program has been awarded by the state as well. And just this past year, we joined Patan for their integration series where we really delved into looking how academic success impacts behavior and vice versa. So we've come a long way in the past five years thanks to the experts at Patan and their help. And we are blessed here to have a great faculty and staff at Maple Ridge, too. Could you talk a little more specifically about literacy instruction? So what has changed about, if anything, um, at your school regarding literacy instruction? So we have come a long way, and I'm a big believer in slow and steady (laughs) wins the race. So as a result, our literacy instruction has really transformed over the past five years. Specifically over the past year, we spent a lot of time working as a team, attending trainings, and really looking into explicit phonics instruction and routine. So when looking at the data, our leadership team noticed quite a sizable amount of kiddos that got stuck in tier two um, in grades one and two. So with our work as a team and with Patan, again, we noticed that that explicit phonics instruction was a piece missing, but also some social emotional learning too. But Specifically, that explicit phonics instruction and those routines were so important. And just within that short amount of time of the year, we saw pretty nice gains using our phonics screeners and um, at the end of the year, benchmarking as well. So let's unpack that a little bit. You mentioned training for your teachers. What was the specific focus of that? 
What did they need to know to, to really move forward? Yeah. So like I said, I am blessed to have these teachers because they are great reflectors. And not only do they know when something's missing, but they want help and seek help. Um, at least most of my faculty does. When they can't put a finger on it, what's happening in the classroom and why is it happening, they, they really do seek help. So we, again, look into that explicit phonics instruction. So we broke it down in our scope and sequence. We narrowed down the phonograms where we're going to master those letter sound routines and our phonemic awareness routines. And that is really what they needed and to build their craft and their practice, that explicit phonics instruction and that teacher language too that goes along with that and setting up those routines in the classroom so the kiddos get those multiple exposures throughout the day as well. And we've seen a huge impact just by putting those routines and common language into practice. So did the teachers help to identify what gaps in their own knowledge they had or was that something Patan really helped you do? Patan definitely sets up like a system or or gives you ideas of when to delve into, but here it happens day to day. So what happens within the walls of the school away from Patan is what I think is most important. So what are you taking back from those trainings and really putting into the teacher's craft and practice? So I meet with my teachers five times during the course of the year as grade levels and then have individual conversations with them where we really delve into the data. We do a data analysis and looking into strengths and tier one and what our tier two concerns are and what we can do to delve into it. So through those conversations and through our leadership team as well, that we see these trends that come up within the data and within our conversations as well. So it's within those individual conversations that we have the grade level conversations, and then just whole school too, where our tier one whole school needs are as well. So if somebody was looking at your classrooms now, as opposed to maybe four or five years ago, what might they see happening differently as it regards reading and working with struggling readers? So definitely a system in place that if a kiddo needs this, something happens immediately and it's prescriptive. So Looking in, you are seeing, again, flexible grouping, kids coming in and out, kids not even knowing that they're leaving for interventions, that it's so fluid that they're coming in and out. This week they're working on this. Maybe next week they don't need to to work on this particular skill. And um, a lot more collaboration between our interventionists and those classroom teachers working in and engagement, student engagement in those phonics routines and in those small group reading routines and with writing as well, that they're putting all those into practice because if you're a good writer, you're also are going to become a, a good a good reader as well. So it sounds like your whole RTI, your whole response to intervention tiers, the way that was implemented is different. The, the groups change. Is that what I heard you say? So they, they do change. They're really fluid. So we have every Wednesday we pick a grade level and a tier to talk about. So over the course of six weeks, we talk about every kiddo in a tiered system. And we drill down, we look at that kiddo to see if they're they're making progress, whether they can exit, and if they're not making progress and can't exit, then what are our next steps? What problem-solving steps are we going to take? Are we going to involve the parents at this point? Are we going to provide longer um, interventions? Are we going to find more intensive interventions? Will we ask our educational assistants to provide some additional interventions within the classroom 
and then kind of brainstorm and set up a plan. And then six weeks later, we talk about that kiddo again and whether they're making progress. And we talk a lot about right now about rate of improvement and we use that measure. And then again, we're, we'll continue to work into student growth percentiles too. But right now, our team really has focused on use, um, the rate of improvement as the goal setting. You mentioned social and emotional, the social and emotional piece. Do you see that connected to particularly kids who have been struggling and the fact now that they see a lot of different people getting support and intervention? Do you see a connection between those two? Oh, wow. Yes. And that is one of the huge pieces that it's okay to make mistakes, that everybody feels frustrated at times. And all of us encounter things that are hard. So having that growth mindset or having that grit to continue on or even having those friendships in place. So when things do get tough, you have someone that you can seek out and help. Can you think about maybe some teachers or give an example of something that teachers or a teacher has said about a, the difference it has made in their practice just from having gone through this process? Yeah, so I can give two examples. So one is from an intervention teacher and this intervention teacher was an interventionist before I got here five years ago, and now it continues to be an interventionist through my five years here. And we've developed all these systems. And where the intervention is before, it was just working on spelling words that the kids didn't know or helping them complete a test that they missed because they were sick. Growing now into a system where they are, they are working collaboratively with the teacher, the parent, the educational assistant, all working on the same phonogram, setting a goal with a kid. The kid has an oral reading fluency goal that they're the kids measuring and the teacher has set the system up and they're monitoring this progress and the teachers are talking about rate of improvement and their confidence as the teacher is going up and they're even more willing to say to be a critical friend and say, My job is so critical, I need somebody to help me problem solve this and seeking the help and not being afraid of being judged and creating that culture and climate that where it's safe to say, I don't know what to do for this kiddo. And watching that teacher go from this independent contractor that was just a place where a kiddo went to catch up. Now there's a prescriptive explicit program that these teachers have built. And then on the classroom teacher side, there have been teachers that started the same year that I have and not just to watch them grow from the newbie that they were uh, their first year, but watching them to mature and watching their teacher language and their language with the colleagues and the conversations that they have go from, oh, I don't know what to put up in my room or what color to make the bulletin board. But now, all right, I don't know how to, this kiddo is having difficulty with, with blends. Maybe if I go talk to the speech and language therapist, I can learn to where they can place their tongue when they mix up F and V to working with the ESL teacher on vocabulary for those kiddos that are in the ESL program and along in their classroom, those conversations have grown and um, became curriculum-based and problem-solving based, which is pretty neat to see. Your school sounds like a very fascinating place to work. I am proud of it, but we're not perfect, but it is a great place to be. Well, based on everything that you've been part of over the last five years, what could you give as takeaways or some recommendations for other schools who are going through this process of really trying to get a handle on intervention and working with struggling students in, in a variety of, of areas, as you mentioned, um, especially as an administrator. I think principals often feel 
especially if they don't coming from a reading background, they feel overwhelmed. How do I really address all of these issues? What could you offer? So climate and culture is everything. Change is a big thing. And having that culture and climate in place takes time. Um, slow and steady is the best route. There's no room for egos, whether you're the, <laughs> the principal or whether you're a teacher or whether you're a grade level leader, there's no room for egos that so we're all in this together. Encourage and support along the way and know that it won't be an easy road. There'll be bumps, but to navigate those bumps and just hold the naysayers accountable. Just don't give them time to bring everybody down. Just hold them accountable for what needs done and support and encourage all those that put in the effort day in and day out. Thank you so much, Mr. Spangler, for offering all that information. Well, no, thank you for the opportunity. We'll be right back. Podcast is sponsored by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. With data-informing software and teacher-led instruction, students receive targeted intervention that leads to rapid reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com slash trial for 14 days of free access to our software. Our next guest is a reading specialist who will share the implementation process for effective reading instruction and support at her school and the results they've seen in the very first year. She describes this process as a game changer. Welcome to the program, Tambra. Thank you, Laura. Uh, could you talk a little bit about your role at the school? Sure. I am a reading specialist and a Title I reading teacher with the South Williamsport School District in Pennsylvania. And in that role, I see small groups for intervention throughout the day. Kindergarten through fourth grade are the grade levels that I work with. And we also kind of use my role to support teachers as much as possible because in our district, we do not have a reading coach or a reading specialist hired solely for those purposes. Awesome. And we previously talked with Sarah Seiko at the National Center for Improving Literacy. And I really want to discuss what your district focused on during the 2018-2019 school year regarding literacy. We were lucky enough through our local IU coaches in, in literacy to become aware of a program that Patan was putting out. It was called Enhancing Early Literacy Outcomes. And I say Patan, Patton is also referred to, and that's an acronym for Pennsylvania Training and Technical Assistance. And basically, they put out frequent trainings for our teachers in literacy math across the board. We became aware of the Enhancing Early Literacy Outcome Series, and we were lucky enough to uh, be accepted into the program. And through that, we sent a core team of teachers to Harrisburg for a few days in throughout the year to kind of become more knowledgeable about the science of reading and increase our best practices. So that's where it kind of all started and we're continuing that for next year as well. What has been done differently regarding teacher training? Um, you mentioned your teachers had training throughout the year. Did Was that training different than teacher training has been in the past? It has. And the presenters um, have been different. So through the Enhancing Early Literacy Outcomes, we really learned a lot about our MTSS, the multi-tiered systems of support, and how to determine if you have a healthy core. Using the tiered model, we want 80% 
or more of our students at or above grade level on our screeners and five or below at the intensive level. So once we started looking at our systems, uh, we could then kind of move to a more preventative model, focus our instruction in the primary grades, use data, not just to review the data, but to also inform our instruction. We wanted to increase our teacher knowledge about the science of reading and the role of advanced phonemic awareness in the classrooms. We really analyzed the amount of time we're spending on the different pillars in reading, phonemic awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension, and how that focus should change as the grade levels increase. We really started in kindergarten, and with our kindergarten teachers, we are going to roll out more each year and kind of increase at an additional grade level each year. So the training from Patan taught us that phonemic awareness training and phonological awareness training shouldn't stop with segmentation, but also go all the way through advanced phonemic awareness to manipulation. And it should go, uh, it shouldn't stop at first grade, but continue throughout the grade levels. We talked about the role of decodable text in the classrooms and how to kind of shift from guided reading to using decodable text with explicit and systematic instruction in our small groups, which is a little bit different, a breaking of tradition for some of our teachers. And we also talked a lot about how to align our tiers and be consistent across tiers. So if there are students in the general ed classroom and I'm seeing students during intervention, how can we make sure that we're using the same routines, procedures, and language in order to take alleviate the working memory issue so that they can really focus on what, what our objectives are in getting them to become decoders and comprehenders of reading? So... How did your teachers respond to that? It sounds like really a robust training program that really enhanced their knowledge, their knowledge base about reading. What was their response and how how effective was that, do you think? So the whole thing started with me kind of seeking out some some teachers whose schedules worked and who were on board to just kind of dive in headfirst without really knowing what they were getting themselves into. And from that, because we've seen such great changes in our in our data and our case study student was so successful, our principal started to implement some walkthroughs. Uh, we have like a pineapple program. So the pineapple is the symbol for welcome. So any teachers who have the pineapple outside their door are welcoming other teachers to come in and see their instruction. And I think that is where the most learning happens is just from each other. And once teachers start to see and understand what the training's about, they just naturally want to get involved and, you know, want to jump in and know more about it. I think one of our biggest things is the fact that we could only send a small group. So now we have to work on the sustainability of what we've learned and how to progress it throughout the building. And um, time is always an issue for all of us. Well, you talked about implementation and how essential that is. So how did you you said your school began with a small group of teachers? Would you advise other schools to begin that way? Like if you could do a redo, is there anything you would change about your implementation? I think from a personal standpoint, I like to get to the end (laughs) as quickly as possible. And sometimes it feels like we're going too slow. (laughs) But when you really see how the results and teachers learn from each other, and 
it's not something being done to them, but being done with them and for our students. And I think that starting with that core group really makes it a more positive change across the board. And it allows you to kind of build and grow in a systematic way that maybe if you tried to do a blanketed across the board, non-negotiable for some of these things, it might not be as successful because you wouldn't have as much teacher buy-in. So those experienced teachers now are kind of serving as your teacher leaders? They are, they are, but it's, it's definitely more casual and friendly than maybe it would be if we tried to implement it from, you know, an administrative standpoint saying, like, you, you must do this. The fact that they're hearing from teachers what works in their classrooms and they've tried it, I think um, it's more believable and people are more accepting because it's not as abstract or, you know, it is based on research, but they're also seeing the evidence in the classrooms that they are familiar with, with the students that they know and the families that they know from our community. And that's important. So could you talk a little bit about your results? I know this is your first year. Did you see progress? So I can talk more about kindergarten because even though there have been other teachers in grade levels who have changed some things in instruction, our true focus was to become a preventative model, which means that we started in kindergarten and we're trying to prevent the gap from forming in the first place. So we started out the year, we use Dibbles, but any screener like Ames Web can, can kind of give you a look at where your core instruction is. And when we looked uh, beginning of the year kindergarten, our students, we had 59% of students coming in at or above grade level and 19% at intensive. At the end of the year, we ended with 81% of our students at or above benchmark and only 2% at intensive. We really concentrated a lot on more advanced phonemic awareness training in kindergarten and using some programs that targeted all different levels every day on phonological awareness and with common routines and procedures across and made sure that our tier two and tier three were supporting the same thing that they were seeing in core. And we ended up with 98% of our students at or above benchmark in phoneme segmentation fluency and 0% at intensive. So we only had two students scoring strategic and all of the rest in all of our kindergarten classrooms were at or above benchmark for that, which is so important because Phonological awareness is laying the foundation. Phonemic awareness is the foundation for when they get to phonics so that they have something to stick it to. So we know that, you know, all of that reading starts with oral language. And how much of a just a benefit for your teachers for them to be able to see that so quickly? It definitely improved the buy-in across the board. I think that they're excited now about the changes, that it's not something else to add to their plate, but because it is so impactful. And really, these the things that we implemented don't take a lot of time. Some of the phonological awareness things, you can be done in 10 minutes, and it's making that big of a difference for our phoneme segmentation. I don't think anybody can argue with that. And when you see how excited the kids are, they love it. And when you see that excitement, for them, it just gets the teachers more excited about it. And learning from each other has definitely been an awesome experience as well. Can you talk just a little bit about, you mentioned the fact that sometimes it seems like it's moving very slowly. And we've kind of gotten into this whole pacing thing where we need to be here by Christmas and here by the end of the year. Did that change uh, not only yours, but the viewpoint of the teachers in terms of realizing why that pacing might be slower at the beginning? I think it's more, um, 
I feel like we're working smarter and not harder now. I feel like we're not spinning our wheels as much. The things that we're changing and the things that we're doing really have a focus. And we try to do things like on a day-to-day basis in the classroom. The instruction is at a perky pace. The fact that we're developing, it takes time to develop the routines and procedures so that the students understand and know what to expect. But once they do, your instruction time actually decreases and you have more time for other things. But as far as I think that it, it takes time for structural and systematic change. And although we want to see, you know, all of our students succeed across the board at once, sometimes slow is better so that we can make sure that our teachers have a firm understanding and that we're all hearing the same messages over and over and over again. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the future. So what's your plan for next year? Is this expanding into upper grades or is your focus really going to remain on kindergarten? So um, next year, our first grade team is involved with another patent series. And basically, it's more routines and procedures for the classroom. But our first grade is going to be involved with that now. And they have also received advanced phonemic awareness training um, from Patan. They have... um, you know, been involved with some core instructional changes. So hopefully next year we'll see them, their data grow and change with their knowledge base. And we're also going to continue in-house from our lead teachers and teachers who've been through it and myself trying to expand our teacher knowledge across grade levels. And we're also involved in some professional development through our local IU. Well, you sound excited. I'm thrilled. <laughs> it's nice to be able to talk about something so, you know, that has some such great results because sometimes we get caught up in what's not working. And so it's really exciting to hear something that is working. Yes. And we've also learned about tracking students who may not be at benchmark, but being able to track their actual growth using trend lines and aim lines and rate of improvement and all of those things so that we can kind of make sure that they feel successful, that even though you haven't reached the grade level goal, you have made great gains yourself. So it's also giving teachers a different perspective of students who may have come into their classroom below grade level, but they're actually making great gains and making strides to close that gap and get them on track. One other thing that I just wanted to ask you about is you keep mentioning data. And did you feel like your teachers had a a good understanding prior to this about how to look at and analyze and use that data? Or is that part of the effective implementation? I don't think that I had as much of a solid understanding of how to analyze the data and problem solve and actually use the data in my day-to-day instruction. I think that through this whole process, we've come to learn how to look at it from a systems point of view and kind of backtrack it to the students and what impact those kind of composite scores and those, you know, if you look at it from a systems point of view, my whole grade level, my whole classroom, it's going to tell me whether my core instruction is effective because we can't intervene with every student. So if we have a healthy core, that makes the entire system healthier. So knowing whether it's an intervention piece that needs to be changed or a core piece that needs to be changed or being able to make decisions faster about whether a student is on track to make their end of the year goals can allow us to make decisions earlier and thereby impacting the students faster, letting them become more successful. 
Do you really see this as a game changer in your district? I do. I do. I think that the things that we've learned and the professional development that we've had, really, I'm, I'm hoping that we continue to look at this data and we start to see students coming in the upper grades stronger with a better foundation. Sometimes in the past, we've seen students who came in with a gap in first grade, but because we didn't know how to use the data to find where those holes were, we were missing the mark. Sometimes you look at a student who isn't able to decode words correctly and you think it's all phonics and you have to focus on letters and letter sounds and vowel teams and the different syllable types where they're actually having a phonological issue and they're not hearing, they're not processing and they're not able to map the sounds onto the letters and those kinds of things. Now we're able to kind of diagnose those issues see where the actual holes are. I guess diagnosis isn't the right word, but you're able to see where the holes are and we can then intervene where the needs are. So it's targeted intervention instead of intervention because I have this program, I'm going to use it with everyone. We no longer do it that way. We find out where the issue is and we target our intervention based on each student's needs instead of the tools that we have. Well, congratulations, first of all, on such a wonderful first year. And thanks so much for sharing your experience and expertise. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks to each of our guests. And thank you for listening. One of the goals of PodClast is to provide educators and parents with information about issues in education with a focus on finding what works. This episode was an excellent example of what's possible when research and the right kinds of teacher training make it into the classroom and the benefits to children and their teachers. Join us for the next episode on increasing family engagement. Our guests will offer some really creative options for establishing partnerships between families and schools. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of PodClass. Visit readinghorizons.com slash podcast to listen to past episodes and download free resources. PodClass is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. With data-informing software and teacher-led instruction, students receive targeted intervention that leads to rapid reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com slash trial for 14 days of free access to our software. Reading Horizons. Reading is for everyone.